Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! And this week we're once again joined by Graham in what I assume is the podcast equivalent of rubbernecking an accident. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, surely that's just any time he joins us on the podcast. I've done good films. None of them spring to mind, obviously, but I'm pretty confident that it's happened. You're, 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 you're implying that we're not doing a good film today. No, just still traumatised by Howard the Duck. Yeah. And I suppose in Graham's defence, he at least is now not responsible for the bottom of our list. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What is uh, what has nudged Howard off bottom place? The absolutely appalling nineties made for TV Nick Fury movie. Oh my! Starring David Hasselhoff. <laughs> okay then. A film in which Nick Fury not only chews the end off his cigars, but also most of the scenery. <laughs> which is really inconvenient because they only have the one set. <laughs> Shield and Hydra are time-sharing the same underground lair. <laughs> but yes, please, please, let's talk about things that are not today's film. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What is today's Sorry. film, Andrew? Well, today I've I've had to do a lot of thinking. Because I know I, I usually do these kind of lead-ins and sometimes it can be quite tough to kind of think of an appropriate bit to lead us into the film. But I think I've had a good long think about it and today I... Ooh, catnip! <laughs> I admire yeah, that's right. the filmmakers... We're beholding Catwoman! I admire the filmmakers' restraint in not having a scene where Halle Berry is distracted for half an hour by someone with a laser pointer. Well, that that's what the focus button's for on the bat signal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> In times of dire need, Jim Gordon just tightens the beam down to a really small point and that distracts Catwoman, so they only have Joker and Riddler to worry about. Well, I, I don't know, Mick, because th- that would only be useful against the Batman villain, Catwoman. Who, oh, yes. Who is not... The star of this 2004 yeah. film. Yes, this is just and, a Catwoman. Yes. And also, boy howdy, is this a 2004 film. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is written by John Brancato, Michael Ferris, John Rogers, who created the Jackie Chan Adventures cartoon. I did not know that. Neither did I. And that was now, possibly see, the I, one good thing I, that I've learned about I, this film. I think I want to pull you up on a technicality here, because the list of names you've just said there were preceded by the phrase written by. Yes. Now that, that implies that some level of creative thought and effort went into the project. I, I mean, write is a verb. Written is the past tense of the verb write. Correct? I mean, certainly all the people involved in this, who also include Theresa Rebeck, put words on a script. <laughs> so in a very technical sense of the term, they did write this film. Okay. Much like, in a very technical sense of the word, the director, Jean-Christophe Comar, a.k.a. Petoff, directed it. Petoff. I think the joke going around at the time was that his surname is Despair. <laughs> well, that is appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Although, what, what's not appropriate is the the based off of bits, mm. which, I mean, so technically is based off a DC Comics character. Based on a copyrighted I mean, name. It, I mean, it, it, it's basically in, in much the same way as, you know, 
the Milky Way chocolate bar is inspired by the galactic entity <laughs> of the same name. <laughs> yes. In that it bears absolutely no resemblance whatsoever. It's just a catchy title. Yes, that, that's just, yes, inspired by the DC Comics character created by Bill Finger while Bob Kane was also in the same room. <laughs> because if it's Batman related, I'm gonna rag on Bill on Bob. But what Kane. we should never ever refer to it as is Bill Finger's Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe I'm being too harsh on Bob Kane. Maybe that's the real reason that they never credited to Bill. DC presents Bill Finger's Batman. It's, it's the Animaniacs got censored for less than this. <laughs> Batman Fingers. No, Bill Fingers Robin. <laughs> it's endless. <laughs> so, Andrew, would you like to do a plot synopsis for this film? No, no, I it wouldn't. It won't take long. <laughs> However... As is the structure of the show, I'm going to anyway. So, Selina Kyle is a cat burglar who commits her crimes in a feline-themed outfit. This is of no importance because this film is about Patience Phillips, played by Halle Berry. Patience tells us in a voiceover how terrible her life is, since instead of pursuing her dream as an artist, she instead only works as an advertising executive a hugely successful makeup company, lives in a huge de- huge apartment, and apparently also has enough time to create a whole portfolio of paintings. Boo, and indeed boo. <laughs> I know, it must be terrible having to go through life looking like Hal Berry. <laughs> so, Patience is told by her boss George, played by Lambert Wilson, the Frenchest man, <laughs> to fix her latest advert. Uh, this is a task that takes her all day, despite his only feedback being to make the red darker. <laughs> and, and God, this is this is what goes off the rails. Because then, then she takes the adverts to the lab where they create the the skin cream. Yes, yes, that's very important. But uh, no, but that's why? explained. You're making that sound like it's not explained at all. It's because the courier lets her down. And the only place she can think of where the guy is, is there. Hollywood hadn't quite cottoned on to the existence of email by this point, had it? 2004. Most of the Western world hadn't cottoned on to the importance of email by that point. No, that's not true. I'm pretty much a technical dunce, but even I've used email. It's just that there's like a 15-year lag in between something existing and people being able to integrate it into the plot of a thriller. And I mean, to be fair, those days... Also integrating it into the commercial world. Hmm. There is stuff you can do by email now that you could have done by email in 2004, but it's only actually become a thing in the last five or six years. Mick, you could... Signing documents. You could absolutely send a fucking picture as an attachment to an email in 2004. You could. I mean, maybe you could. (laughs) But Patience Phillips certainly couldn't. She's an artist. She's not a technical. So anyway, while she's bumbling about... Patience discovers that the skin cream actually causes horrific facial damage and is murdered to cover this up by being drowned in sewage, which is an apt, if accidental, <laughs> metaphor. Yeah, but 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 the weird thing about this cream is it only actually causes permanent damage to your skin if you stop using it. Mm. If you continue to use it... <laughs> Oh, we'll we'll get to what happens if you continue to use the skin cream. So, unfortunately for us, the audience, Patience is resurrected by an Egyptian mouth cat called Midnight and finds that she has been chosen by the goddess Bast to become a cat woman. Who's who's looked after by the mother from Six Feet Under. I'm, I'm sure that means something. Yeah, I'm glad you recognised Frances Conroy in this. Uh, <laughs> I, I think her 
I, I was very into Six Feet Under when it was on, and her appearance was the one moment of unironic happiness I got from this film. <laughs> it comes to something when, when an appearance by someone from another show you liked a few years after the film was made makes you go squee. <laughs> Rather than actually like the main character or anything. My favourite thing about her character is that she plays some kind of like ex-professor who like was definitely kicked out of academia because of, you know, male bias. Not because her main theory is that there's an immortal race of cat women. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hold on. What's most likely to get a female professor sacked in 2004? Some kind of batty theory about immortal cat women or the patriarchy? I mean, apparently the patriarchy. Am I right, sisters? She has dedicated her life to researching the thesis that I believe was first put forward in the seminal academic text Brass Eye. Uh, that the ancient Egyptians worshipped cats because they thought they looked funny. <laughs> Got it. It's just brassy. <laughs> okay. So, determined to avenge her own murder, our back from the dead hero dresses up in a black other, other outfit and sets off into the night as an animal themed hero that I cannot stress enough is not, and is in fact entirely different from a crow. It's not the crow, okay? <laughs> it's definitely not just a rip-off of the Brandon Lee film, The Crow. Well, I, th I think if, if we're going to talk about The Crow, we have to talk about the other very early 90s thread of this movie's weird inbred DNA, uh, which is that almost all of this origin story is taken not from the comic book Catwoman, but from Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman in Batman Returns, which this was originally planned as a spin-off mm. from. Yeah, so I've got I've got a little bit of stuff on that. Shall we shall we finish the synopsis? Of first? course. Please, oh God, say yes so we can get <laughs> it out the way. Do you know I think Cal Berry said exactly the same thing at the first table read? <laughs> so Patience returns to the lab. But she's famed for the murder of one of the scientists who's, who's just there as a dead body just hanging out in the lab. Which, which is a bit awkward for her since her boyfriend is Detective Tom Lone, played by Benjamin Bratt. Heartthrob Benjamin Bratt. <laughs> uh, some things happen that don't make much sense. And patient dis Patience discovers that the mastermind behind everything is George's wife, Laurel, played by Sharon Stone. I also want to make a note that this is when Patience discovers it towards the end of the film. We, the audience, know this, like, from about five minutes in. <laughs> yes. Uh, Laurel and Catwoman fight, and Laurel reveals that her exposure to the skin cream has made her skin nearly invulnerable. She has become literally Sharon Stone. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Sharon Stone is like the most comic booky name for that character. <laughs> it is. It's significantly better than Laurel, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Laurel Hadare, I think, is the last name. Yeah, it's something like that. Something forget forgettable, isn't it? Because the, the, the cosmetics company is named after her and her husband, isn't it? I think the only way that Laurel could be a superhero pun name is if she had either the powers of a branch or the power to shift a piano up a flight of stairs. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe that's it. Her name is Laurel and her skin is very hardy. Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank God nearly invulnerable does not extend to falling off a building, so that's the end of that. <laughs> uh, patience has cleared of all the crimes she was framed for. Somehow. As well as all Yeah. As well as all the crimes she did commit. 
thanks to having a relationship with a high-ranking police officer. <laughs> so at least the film's accurate in one sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, she then breaks up with Tom to continue being Catwoman, which I assume involves a lot of loud sex outside people's windows and leaving dead birds on their doormats. <laughs> the I mean, end. That's just a Tuesday night round, are we? <laughs> It's a bad film. Yeah, I was going to say, where, where do we want to start discussing this? But the fact that it right. is a bad I'm, film seems to be as good a point as any. I'm going I'm going to leap in here with a, what someone might deem controversial opinion. Oh. I'm going to agree that, yes, it is a bad film. Well, that's that finished. Uh, let's move on from there. But, <laughs> but... But I put it to you, it's actually no worse than a lot of other crap that was around at the same time. What would be this movie's contemporaries? Let's see. Let's have a look. What, 2004, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think this is a similar kind of time to Daredevil. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think that was either a year I'm, before or a year after. I'm pretty sure it was a year before because they entirely ripped off the baseball, the, yeah, the basketball scene from that. Oh boy! Um, when we get with the added addition of Mystique, scandalous. <laughs> we had in the same year, we had The Incredibles, Million Dollar Baby. Although actually, that that's listed as 2005, but. That's what you get when you type 2004 movies into a search. Shaun of the Dead, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Downfall, Notebook, Kill Bill. Not really persuading me that this was a cinematic wasteland. Like, even the Harry Potter movie is basically no, I'm, pretty I'm, good. I'm, I must... I'm. I, what I'm... What I must say is I probably meant of its ilk. Because mm. none of those are superhero movies. The Incredibles. None of those are live-action superhero movies. Spider-Man 2 was out that year. <laughs> I didn't mention it, though, did I? Fair enough, yes. <laughs> it wasn't in the list of films I mentioned. <laughs> Back in your box, William. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> But yes, but apart I, from all the really good movies that were released in 2000. I've got a box set downstairs which I bought in a fit of madness which has got three of the worst superhero or comic book movies I've ever seen. Mm. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Daredevil and Elektra. Right. And I don't think Catwoman is any worse than any of those. What's the theme of that box set? Was it the Guantanamo Bay Collection? I think it. I think it was a box box set of shit we can't sell anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also think the problem there with your argument, Mick, is that Daredevil, Electra, and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen are also considered to be three of the worst superhero films ever made. Which is my point. Superhero films in that era, a decent one was the exception rather than the rule. It wasn't the um, spoil, spoiled comic book fiesta that we have now. Yes. Where even even DC have managed to crack out a, a decent movie every now and then. <laughs> yes, th- this is fair. And I think it's we have to accept some level of truth to that if we're going to agree with the very good point Andrew made earlier, which is that this is the most 2004 movie in existence. <laughs> it really not really that list of 2004 movies. I, 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 I mean, my when I was watching it, I was thinking it's poor for a 2004 comic book adaptation. Mm. But it's a, it's about on a par with a reasonably good 80s live action. I, I mean, the the Tim Burton Batman. Of, Aside, because mm, mm. that was like a, a watershed moment for comic book movies. Yeah. But anything up to that, this is what Catwoman feels like. Oh, yeah. You put it next to something like Supergirl, and I think it makes a lot yeah. more sense in that context. Yeah. 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 Especially, I think they both suffer from that really big problem of getting a bunch of men in a room and going, 
how do we make a superhero film for girls? Oh boy, and, does it ever! Yes. Yeah, and that's uh, why the villain's got to be in charge of a makeup company. Yes, and I, and I, and I think I think that's the that's the that's the main problem with this is it's any film that has Catwoman as a lead is going to be about female empowerment, and that's what Selina uh, Selina Kyle's plotline was in Batman Returns. Mm. It was about setting herself free from all that oppression and stuff and, and freeing the rage and, and yeah stuff like that. And had this come out at the time when it was probably meant to, with um, Michelle Pfeiffer continuing the character and continuing that line of thought, mm. it might not have been half as bad. I think the problem well, is... It's yeah, been... also that version was written by Daniel Waters and directed by Tim Burton, who did so this what I'm saying is, if that film had come up with a different actress, a different director, a different, a different writer, writer, and a different script, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it probably would... wouldn't have been as bad. <laughs> but it would, it would have been, it would have been carrying that same DNA. Whereas this smacks very much of, we need to say something about female empowerment. Who are the people keeping females down? It's the cosmetic companies telling them that they're old and ugly. Yes. Right. Well, we'll do that then. Who shall we pick? Two of the um, youngest and best-looking actresses in America. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? I always thought that the character of Laurel comes across very oddly when you have someone like Sharon Stone, who is... I mean, maybe she's had some subtle work done, but she seems committed to ageing naturally. If it was someone... If it was Leslie Ash, do you think this would land slightly differently? <laughs> you know, I, I, even so, I would have put someone in there like a like a former sixties, yeah, icon, like a Jane Fonda or someone like that, who still looks good for her age, but is playing that sort of I've been cast aside by Hollywood and by Vogue and all the rest of it. Mm. That would make more sense. She then puts on the cream, but of course, we probably didn't have the di- digital rejuvenation techniques that we have now oh. that would have made that a believable. Uh, yeah, because she's, I, I think she, the... she's supposed to have just reached the peak of not being pretty enough for magazine. Cover. The, the one thing that would make this film worse is if it had some mid noughties de aging CGI a la whichever X Men movie tried to create <laughs> young Patrick Stewart. Oh, God, X Men 3, The Last Stand. <laughs> of course, it, of course, it was the Brett Ratner one. How could it not be? But yeah, so it yes, it's trite and yes, it's hackneyed and it sucks and it's been written by people who've never heard people speak, <laughs> directed by people who's uh, by someone who's never seen people walk, <laughs> and I I think it probably its biggest problem is that it's called Catwoman. Oh, I think there were probably bigger issues with it than that, if I'm honest. And I say, I, I say that because calling it Catwoman and it having the association with DC mm. in the in the credit leads you to a certain expectation of what you're going to get that you don't get. You do get a woman dressed as a cat, I'll grant you, mm. but. It feels it, it, it feels more like a sort of asylum films version of Batman Returns, doesn't it? Where they they've took the beats from Daniel Waters' script for, from all the yeah. Catwoman bits, but they've filed the serial numbers off. They've given it a different kind of background <laughs> mythology. They've changed the character's name, uh, yeah. and yeah, it, it's it's old ground that is not being successfully retrod. Yeah, and I think you know we're we're reviewing this in the week that the Batman has come out. Mm. If there if there was an equivalent film to this coming out, it would be called a Batman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not that one, a different one. Actually, it's funny that you mention Catwoman suffering because it coincides with the release date of a of a Batman film. Mm. 
because one of the big reasons that this film didn't get made kind of with Michelle Pfeiffer is that when Tim Burton turned the script in for this, which was of course based on like his other films, quite dark and moody, mm. was the exact same day that Batman Forever came out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be a problem. Um out of interest, have we done a, a Batman Returns episode of this here show? We yes, haven't done Christmas special. Ah I must listen to that. Cause, my because of the snow. My opinion of Batman Returns is that it is golden. I absolutely adore it. I, I I think our biggest criticism of it was that it was too too many villains, which was typical of many superhero uh, sequels. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's sort of interesting how many things that did work in the very particular yeah. context of a Tim Burton movie just crash land here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of that is because Tim Burton has a very particular style. Yeah. I think if any of our younger listeners doubt that there was ever a time when it looked like a good idea to give Tim Burton all the franchises, you can just watch Batman Returns and you can see why people thought that. Yeah. And then if you want a reason why no one gives him the franchises anymore, watch Planet of the Earth. Yes. <laughs> But that—that that is the the thing about Batman Returns. Is that it was not universally acclaimed when it came out, and part of the reason is it, it is really grim. I mean, even yeah. nowadays in this post Snyderverse comic book landscape, there just aren't many comic book movies about mass infanticide anymore. No, it's, it's... and more's the pity. Indeed, I mean, it, it it's it's a crying shit. <laughs> yeah, so they they try and square the circle here, I guess, by keeping some of the caught occult bits of that film's Catwoman origin story, but also making her basically a drip, and the whole film is just kind of goofy. Yeah, and I, I think it's a shame because. Was this off the back of um, Berry getting the Oscar? Yeah. Or was it she building... Yeah, so she's just got an Oscar and then she does this. Mm. Now, I think I think one of the problems is you win an Oscar and your stock goes up in Hollywood, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the very obvious issues here is that they looked at the budget, booked Hal Berry, booked Sharon Stone and then went... Right. See that cafe at the end of the street? Can you just see who's in there that's available? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Benjamin Bratt seems like a lovely guy, but his presence does scream, this was our 12th choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has got the advantage that he's got that comic book trope of an illiterative <laughs> But Yeah, I mean, certainly given the way characters talk about how handsome and hunky he is, and then the reality of him being Benjamin Bratt. I mean, it it definitely feels like this was a role written for a different actor. It, it sounds like the role was written for Brad Pitt and they couldn't get him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they just said, who's an actor whose name sounds a little bit like Brad Pitt? <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it was 2004 Mobile Communications, wasn't it? Did you get me Brad Pitt? Brad, Brad, Brad Pitt. <laughs> You got me what? That'll have to do. <laughs> and then they decided that if they put him in a big enough leather jacket, no one will notice. He's <laughs> quite the character, isn't he? Tom Lone, the lone wolf. Yeah. I mean, oh, God, that's, uh, that's I mean, it, let's... isn't it? That's why he's, cause he's yeah. a lone wolf. And she's... Well, think oh, about it. Is, ah, is it a lone wolf? But his first name's Tom, mm. to go with the cat woman. It just gets better, so, doesn't it, Andrew? Eh? It, no, no, it really doesn't. You see, you see, what you're doing is you're ignoring all the layers in this film. <laughs> you mean layers of raw sewage just being piped all over Halle Berry? <laughs> yes. 
I mean, it's it's funny. Mick mentioned Tarosco, and it is notable that we're recording this while there is film in cinemas that casts it in a different light. Not the Batman. I'm thinking about Moonfall, which has Halle Berry in it, and I hear is terrible. But part of the reaction to Moonfall has been sort of, yeah, go on, girl, you get your big paycheck for starring in an absolutely shocking film. And and this is it, you know. I mean, you've got to question whether she absolutely needs that level of exposure now. I think um, there's that. Yeah. What what I'm thinking is that you respond to this slightly differently when it's a, a sort of woman in her fifties who still looks great, yes. but is a woman in her fifties yeah. who has been yeah. through many career ups and downs. When it's someone who's just coming off the back of being the first black woman to ever win an Oscar. Something yeah. like this just feels like a slap in the face. It does. And and there's probably reasons for it, like overlapsing schedules and stuff like that. Delays on this film meant that it came out after she'd won the Oscar rather than before. But then you've got to wonder if it had come out before, would she have got the number? <laughs> yeah, would she have norbited <laughs> it? <laughs> what? The woman from Catwoman? Are you mad? Uh... <laughs> yeah. And since particularly... Oh, she's really good in this one. Yeah, I know, but still... <laughs> And it seems particularly unfair because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Halle Berry's performance in this. That's no. Like, I, there's only so she, much you can do when your direction is sniff this ball of catnip. The, the yeah. direction for 90% what? of the scenes just seems to be be sassy. Like, at one point, she manages <laughs> to open a wardrobe in a sassy way, and you think, you're just opening a door. You don't have to do that. And I, I actually think that what we're seeing here is the birth of modern CGI because I don't think it's physically possible for the human body to sway hips at quite that extreme. Yes. I mean... It does feel like one of those diagrams of how canals work where the lock just (laughs) twists in a certain way. Um, I mean, that does a... explain why the rest of the CGI looks so god awful. <laughs> but yeah, I I think this is the problem that obviously the DNA of this film is that it was originally meant to be that fighter follow up, mm. and that's not easy to say on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and I think. They've then got to try and match that that kind of casting. Mm. So all the good stuff that you might want to spend money on, like the script. I mean, I'll be honest, if you'd have just given the script to the actors and let them go feral with it, it's probably been better than <laughs> the directed version. Yes. That's what you want. You want an undirector's cut. Yes. <laughs> Where they all just walked into the studio and said, shall we just improv it? Well, so somebody give me a subject. <laughs> you say that a little part of me figures that the scenes in Patience's workplace might be the result of such a process. Yeah. What with her co-worker Alex Borstein, who definitely has been to at least seventy sexual harassment scenes. <laughs> and I <laughs> And I think I think the other thing is it it's weird. It's weird watching this 2004 movie through 2022 eyes mm. because the portrayal of her gay work friend. Oh, is, boy, yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 70s at best. <laughs> I think Patience stands out by being the least horny person in her workplace. Like, Everyone else can get no work done because they're constantly distracted by literally any man who walks through the office. Yeah. But also, there's the fact that um, Patience, who, as we mentioned earlier, looks like Hal Berry, (laughs) needs her office colleague to get her a tarty leather outfit to get a date. Well, see, I'm, I'm very confused by that leather outfit because it's in like a lingerie box, but yeah. it just looks like a like a biker outfit. <laughs> like, what what is the purpose of this outfit? I don't know. It 
it's for a leather fetishist who doesn't fully understand leather fetish. (laughs) You know, you you get the dummy's guide to Linux. It's the dummy's guide to leather fetish. (laughs) I mean... I mean... You, you can you can see the evolution of Pfeiffer's cat costume, mm. where she's just got like a plastic mac and cut it all up and sewn it together so it looks a bit like a cat suit. Yeah, Anne Hathaway's well, version was... makes perfect sense. Yeah, this one it looks like well, it looks like council estate cosplay. It's why does she cut up her trousers? Yes, why why yeah. is she hell bent on making a superhero costume that affords her the least amount of body cover imaginable? Yeah, I I don't know. It's not a question no. that has an answer, is it? No, it isn't. To be fair, it is, while it's not accurate to the Catwoman comics outfits, I feel like it is accurate to the general idea of female comic book character costumes in that it's just going, look at all these random bits of skin we're showing. That's sexy, right? (laughs) Yes, I remember that when Daredevil was about to come out and the first images for that were coming up, there were a lot of people who were very disappointed that Jennifer Garner wasn't wearing a comics-accurate costume. (laughs) Catwoman feels like karmic retribution for that. (laughs) Here you go, you horny idiots. This is what that would look like. I mean, this film could have been worse. Yeah, I mean, it, it, could, it didn't it, physically injure it, me. It could, it could have been directed by Uwe Ball. It's, it's probably not the worst Hollywood film involving CGI cats that I or Andrew have ever seen. <laughs> no, that's very and true. There's probably, there's probably not a separate cut where they're bumholes showing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with the costume. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that part I'm not so sure about. <sighs> also, I feel like talking about other cats. Is films, it me or is 18 years too long without a sequel? To this? Should I give up hope? Yeah. <laughs> there, surely. There was a video game tie-in, you know. Was there? Yeah. yeah, because it was 2004, everything had a video <laughs> game sign. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if three, if three billboards had come out in 2004, it would have had a video game tie-in. I would have played that. Would you? It would probably have had a hideous quick-time event minigame where you had to fill out the writing on the board <laughs> yes. in a set amount of time. Yeah, God, that's that's one of those weird things, isn't it? There's, there's like a whole generation who don't know about when every film would have a tie-in video game, and, and they then, were all just the shonkiest girl. And then there was that time that they remade Clash of the Titans and and based it on the video game tie-in first. <laughs> I digress. Yes, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm just thinking what film that I've watched this year would I most like to see a video game tie-in for? I think Memoria. Not Targaryen Skag. Yeah, gags like that only work in context of other people who've seen that film. Yes, yes, fair enough. To be fair, if there is one thing we get Graham on the show for, it is definitely not broad market appeal gags. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Which is why we bring him in on shows like Catwoman. Yeah, where we've already limited our market appeal by doing Catwoman. Yes. But at least we're not as bad as Bill. Anyway, do you know something I found much more hilarious in hindsight watching this film now? Go on. What? Is that Catwoman is about a character who takes on a cat-themed superhero identity based on a legacy of those characters and empowered by the goddess Bast. Mm -hmm. And that's the origin for Black Panther. (laughs) <laughs> oh, of course it is. Oh boy, yes. Um, I, I maybe I'm just um, 
maybe I'm closed-minded, but I think Black Panther would have been substantially worse with a lot of puns about catnip in it. Just you wait for the sequel. Uh, we, <laughs> I mean, look, I, we need something to fill up the runtime because we can't film the Tisha rights. Yes. No, apparently we can now. Apparently everything's been forgiven. Okay, good. So we can get another like half an hour of footage out of it then before the next thing. Yeah. Oh God, it's just yeah. It's I, I hope it's good, but it is starting to look like they disturbed some ancient burial grounds during the filming of the first one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. God, um, it really. Th- this is going to make some kind of like filming disasters book at some point, isn't it? I I just hope yes. the guy who made Burden of Dreams is on set, you know, filming everything. <laughs> But it, it probably it probably also means that that book that you mentioned will be called Catwoman and other major filming disasters. <laughs> Speaking of filming disasters, that basketball scene, right? I went back to count this, and one bit where Halle Berry dribbles a basketball contains seventeen cuts. Now, I, I'm going to question one part That's of that That's the other reason we get Graham on the show. And it's the bit where you say it's Halle Berry <laughs> dribbling a basketball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you can't risk the talent safety on dangerous stunts like yeah. playing a game of basketball, obviously. No, no, the results might the, be scandalous, was it ba- even. Was it, was it a game of basketball or was it foreplay? Um... I feel like everything in this film is the mating ritual of some species we haven't yet discovered. <laughs> but yeah, every time we got a close-up of Halle Berry uh, during that basketball, there was a lot of breathlessness and meaningful eye contact with the roving Tom. Yes, yes, there really was. It, which we should also cuts... mention that this scene takes place in front of a group of at-risk teens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's... it's not good, is it? It's not... It's... it's not a great role model film, is it? Um... I think all of Patience and Tom's meet-cutes are incredible. They're so strange. Like... This, again, is probably not a target reference, but I nearly broke my laptop in half when when we got to the bit where he looks at some of the sketches and goes, it reminds me of early Chagall, very much in the tradition of the old Dutch masters. And I just wanted to march into the screen saying, right, here's a Mark Chagall painting and here's a Rembrandt. Why don't you tell me how these things are comparable in any way? It's it's really because the same said, kind of it, thing as it the... said so on the back of the piece of paper that was behind Halle Berry's head <laughs> that he was reading off of. But it's it's very much the same kind of stuff as we need to upload more round to the mainframe, isn't it? It really is, yes. <laughs> it's I mean I think if you're an expert in anything then there's there's going to be like Hollywood movies that just depress you. And as someone who's had a lifelong love of painting, this is even worse than that bit in Titanic where Leonardo DiCaprio discusses Monet's use of colour. Oh, he uses colour, does he, Leo? Oh, I had no idea. For you see, I am a bird and can only see in black and white. <laughs> Triggered him again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's also, I feel like it's unfair to bring this film up on not understanding how art, how art works because this film doesn't understand how anything works. I think the the standard of the production is proof that no one on the set understands art. It's fair fair to say. Of of any form. Yes. I think I mean it, it's, it's a small miracle. Yeah. 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 It's a small miracle thing you have to turn the camera on, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, 
presumably someone just left it running on whatever film that finished shooting in the lot before that. I, I, I am reminded of Jean Luc. Possibly an episode of Friends. I'm reminded of Jean Luc Godard's dictum that all you need to make a film is a girl and a gun. I feel like if he saw this, he would say, ah, now there are a few things that I might have missed out from that statement. Yeah. To be fair, he never said it had to be a good film. <laughs> that's, that's very true. He also missed out the fact that you'd need cameras, lights, sound. Yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff missed out of that statement, isn't there? It's a very reductive list, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank God. What do you know, Goddard? We've, we've finally brought Goddard to his knees. <laughs> Next week, <laughs> next week we'll make Jabberoski regret his life choices. I mean, that's been a long-term goal of yours ever since you read the Inkle, hasn't it? Oh, it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a couple of things that I think we've touched on that I just want to examine in a bit more detail, um, which is. The score to this, I was trying to work out what, what genre it's going for, and eventually I settled on background music for a late 90s medical drama. I think that's where God. they got the copyright yeah. permission from. <laughs> that That is a very apt description of it. I think the the mystique needle drop stands out because it is so weird, although I have certain nostalgic fondness for that song. I think a more representative one is the song that plays where she fights the jewel thieves whose lyrics go uh, da 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 it is it's the Pearl and Dean advert oh younger listeners will be completely oh they still use it I've still heard it yeah all right. I've heard it. Uh, I, I obviously don't got cinemas that use Pearl and Dean. I think they still do it at Showcase. I think the uh, the Cineworld ones do have that sort of eager assaulting orgy of cod dubstep that goes on. Before. Oh, yes, the Final Fantasy boss music. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's. I don't think it's necessarily a bad soundtrack. Like, it's. It's a nice bit of early 2000s easy listing. Where does it... It's just not what I'd choose for a oh, film like right. this. Andrew, Andrew, let, let's put this on a scale, shall we? Let's put it on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is Chariots of Fire and 1 is Venom. Venom. <laughs> Venom's going to get them. I mean, based on that, I have to give it at least a 3. <laughs> One, uh, I have not yet seen either Venom movie, but I do like the fact that the sequel includes a cameo from Little Sims acknowledging that one year after the first one came out, she released a song called Venom, which was actually good. So they, they clearly thought if we just held out one year, one year. It's like... See, it's funny because you haven't seen Venom 2, so you think that's the wildest cameo in that film. <laughs> As opposed to, say, like, San Francisco priest Reese Shearsmith. Oh, what? I actually want to watch it now, actually, now you said that. <laughs> it's right, it's a fascinating that... right. film. Right, Graham, just to put this in context, to tell you that Reese Shearsmith is in Venom 2 mm. is a bit like me coming up to your 2004 self going, watch Catwoman. It's got Francis Conroy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not holding out much hope for his uh, inside number nine <laughs> skill set to be put to use in uh, yeah. No. But the, um, the, the whole... I mean, speak of Conrad, the whole decision to build this around Egyptian cat mythology and cat folklore through the ages, it reminded me a lot of when Julie Tamer made her Spider-Man musical and she thought, you know what this needs? A subplot about the Greek spider deity Ariadne. 
Mm. Oh my god, this is Catwoman turn off the dark. It really is, yes. Not least because for the like nocturnal heroine, quite a lot of it is set in broad daylight. Yes. That's the that yeah, that's that's the other thing with this film, is it doesn't it doesn't feel catwoman y. Mm. I mean, you could argue that most of the shots of Catwoman in Batman sixty six, the T V series were daylighty, but it had to be to shine the light off the sequence. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> but yeah, this you know, she doesn't do a great deal of moving around rooftops at night, does she? No, not at all. I mean she does do that one bit where she sneaks into the theatre and by sneaks in I mean walks just right past the security guard. Yeah. <laughs> Well, clearly she was in stealth mode. And there is a nightclub scene. That's something that exists within the movie. Yes. Yeah, where she orders a white Russian without the vodka. Yes. It's not the greatest cinematic legacy for that drink, is it? I think still people will probably think of the big Lebowski before they think of this. Yeah. I, I... I I was slightly traumatized by that scene because it brought back flashbacks to um oh what's he called the the asshole Scottish MP that was on Celebrity Big Brother. Oh God, George Galloway! Yes, that's it. So, so did he also construct his own cage in the middle of a nightclub and do a sexy dance? Yeah, what what I would do, Andrew and and listeners, is I would urge you to not go to a search engine of your choice and type in as your search criteria George Galloway, Celebrity Big Brother, Ruler Lenska, Milk. <laughs> listeners, if you think, I mean, now I come to say it back to myself. Why would you accidentally type that in? If you think it sounds obscene and horrific, the way that Mick gives you the key words, it's worse than you imagine. To be fair, I cleaned it up substantially, though. (laughs) So you both know full well that I'm going to Google this, and I hate you both already for it. (laughs) What What we want now is live video of you watching that, and the facial expressions as the scene unfolds <laughs> in your eyes. Yes. And then we want extended coverage of you then going and getting a red hot poker to get those <laughs> offending eyes out of your head and then washing the sockets out with high strength bleach because you won't be able to unsee it. God, I can't believe not only have you made me watch Catwoman, <laughs> but now it's not even going to be the worst thing that I'll watch this week. <laughs> was a simpler time back then wasn't it nowadays if a politician appeared on telly and did some weird erotic cat themed role play we'd make him prime minister i mean to be fair it'd probably be preferable to what we've got (laughs) right should we rank this then i mean it is ranking (laughs) i think this is I just think it's not as rank as people make it. This is not going to be the most challenging ranking that we do, I feel. Put it this way, I don't think a history of violence has got anything to do with <laughs> Yeah, so so looking at our list, as the history of violence, that's number one. Although, although, to be fair, we usually place our number one film when Graham joins us. It, yeah, it could happen again. <laughs> <laughs> And the most impressive part of that is that Graham kept it. <laughs> <he said> it. <laughs> Before we dream too big, should I maybe give a rundown of our bottom five films? Yes. Yeah, that seems more pragmatic. So, uh, number 29, we've got 30 Days of Night. Number 30, Howard the Duck. And below that, two of our newest entrants. Three Dev Adam at 31, and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. at number 32. Now, In terms of my reference point, I would say that the practical stunt work in Howard the Duck is easier to enjoy than anything in Catwoman. 
So I think this is worse. Well, one of the reasons that um, Howard the Duck lost its uh, pride of place at the bottom of the list was because when we watched Three Dev Adam and we watched Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., we realised that Howard the Duck has many flaws, but at least they were ambitious. Yeah. They shot for the moon and landed somewhere in a mud bowl in midwestern America. But there was a there was a definite effort to do something big there. Whereas with Nick Fury, there was an effort to do something really small and they failed. <laughs> And three Dev Adam was kind of somewhere in between those two lofty ambitions. Yeah, that three Dev Adam is I'm weird, and we don't sure know what, what to do with it, <laughs> and we're a bit scared by it. Three Dev Adam seemed to be where someone had got three different plots of three different superhero <laughs> movies and gone, "Ah, you know what? Let's make them all." <laughs> um, you know, I, I so, realise now a mistake we've made. What? Is that we should have done the crow first and then we would have a reference point. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the whole of the crow and yet even I feel confident saying this is worse. Hmm. Also, what's the crow comic book adaptation? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is actually. Or is there a comic book adaptation of the film? <gasps> I'm pretty sure it is. Is that a whole new post is that a whole new podcast? comic adaptations of things that already exist. <gasps> That'll give me an excuse to have read this Blade Runner comic I've got. <laughs> it's all fun and games until someone recommends you Buffy Season 8. <laughs> I'm just reading the new run of Firefly, actually, which is based on the not-made reboot series. Because, uh-huh. again, it features all the actors that are still willing to work with Jeff Whedon. <laughs> anyway, Catwoman. Naff, isn't it? Yeah, it's not good. It it's is. not good. I still think it's better than Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Yeah, but I'm... it lacks it lacks the pure entertainment value of Three Dev Adam. I, I would also say, just from a technical standpoint, it's at least marginally more competent than Three Dev Adam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, we will put Catwoman in as our new thirty-one. There we go. Okay, great. How was the duck there, moving up the table by default? <laughs> the two sweetest <laughs> words in the English language. <laughs> default. Okay, well, I guess before we wrap up then, I just have one more question to ask. Okay. Yes. So is Patience Phillips a janicle? <laughs> well... As I think the opening song to the musical Cats makes perfectly clear, Jellicles are, um, yeah, what the hell is a Jellicle? <laughs> I mean, because they're all dead, aren't they? And <laughs> They're just trying to get into cat heaven. Yeah. I feel like even the central character of Tom Hooper's version of Cats who is just bewildered throughout the whole thing, would not need to Google what is a cat as Patience <laughs> does at one point in this film. But don't right. forget, don't forget it's 2004. The sheer thrill of Googling something is relatively new. God, I forgot about her really like general searches, like just cats in history. <laughs> It features the one realistic moment of the film where her first search is just, I can't remember why it is, but it's ridiculously broad and she just gets back a lot of funny pictures of cats with false moustaches and things. So even in 2004, that is what 98% of the internet was. (laughs) Yes, The Crow is based on John James O'Barr's comic of the same name. I thought so. Well, there you go. Guess what episode you'll be on for next? (laughs) 
But until then, I think that's about it for this show. So if you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. Also, if you're a fan, we'd appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners so that more people can hear whatever the hell this was. I mean, do you not think that sometimes when, when our current listeners hear you desperately reaching out for new listeners, you think that maybe you've grown tired of them? <laughs> well, that's only because I have. Okay. I think Bring I... me fresh blood, listeners. I demand <laughs> tribute. <laughs> anyway, until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Graham. And I've been Mick. So long, and thanks for listening.